Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in a way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai, and I am your host today. And we have an awesome guest, Eddie Williams. This is one that you really want to get out your notepad, get ready to take notes. He's just dropping truth bombs left and right. He's going to talk about his own journey through tons of surgeries, his career in the NFL, how he planted a church, how he dealt with his mother passing away from cancer when he was young, and even a blog about health and how our bodies relate to us and God at the end. And it's just absolutely incredible. So I can't wait for you to meet him. Sit back, enjoy, soak it all in. Here is Eddie Williams. All right, Eddie, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Tara, for having me. I'm excited to be on. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So first off, will you tell people a little bit about yourself, family, what you're doing, maybe professionally, anything you want about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a pastor here. I started a church called Bay City a few years ago here in San Francisco. And I've been married about 10 years, got a wife, a couple kids, three kids running around. Uh, so home is a little bit nuts for me. And then um, on the back end, or I guess the front end of all that, I played in the NFL for five years. I was drafted by the, uh, I guess now the Washington football team. They've got a, a new name. They don't call yeah. them the Redskins anymore, which is probably for good reason. Um, and then after that, I played a few times, got hurt a lot, had four surgeries in five years, and uh, got called to be a pastor kind of in the midst of all that. And I've been working at church, different church plants and helping God start churches in different cities all around the country. And so, um, yeah, and then I've uh, got a, a website called Ex Nihilo Health, which is a, like about the fusion of biblical wellness, biblical health, and what it means to just be created in God's image. And so kind of merging all of who God made me to be and uh, seeing how uh, I can help other people with that story. Yeah, no, then I was telling you that it's you're just a perfect guest in so many ways because of your injuries and your journey. And it's just, I just can't wait to hear about it, first of all. But Take us back to the start of how did you become a Christian? So I read your story on a blog and reached out to you and I was just captivated just by a little blog that you said. So you, you said it was interesting. A stranger gave you a Bible. Yeah. So, you know, people think that doesn't work anymore. They think they need the smog, you know, the the smog machines and all of that. You know, that probably helps too, but guy just gave me a Bible. So I was uh, playing college football my freshman year of college. Uh, Didn't know Jesus. I'd gone to church here and there, you know, Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas, those kind of different holidays and stuff like that. And so getting to college wasn't, wasn't a believer. Um, you know, and so I got getting on the bus one day, uh, a teammate was handing out Bibles and didn't know the guy really well, but I know that no one was taking his Bibles. And so I was the, one of the last younger guys getting on the bus and I felt bad for him. So I was like, yeah, man, I'll take one of your Bibles. And what do you want me to do with this thing? You know? And so he starts opening up and flipping the pages and talking about the different stories and stuff like that. And it's all like Chinese to me, you know, I don't speak Chinese. I, I, what is this guy talking about? So I was like, okay, well just tell me where to start. You know, where do I, like, what do I do with this thing? And he's like, oh man, you got to read the gospel, John, because all the other gospels, they'll tell you what Jesus did. This one's going to tell you who Jesus was. 
And uh, for me, this was this profound statement of like, really? Like, okay, that, that is intriguing. So then he, um, he was handing out paper Bibles, but he decided to give me his actual Bible. So he put the paper Bible back and said, oh, you should take this one. And it, was, wow. uh, it, has his, it has his name embroidered on the front of it. And it was a leather King James Version Bible, which, you know, if you're new to Christianity, uh, that's a hard place to start. So yeah. I, I, I didn't know how to necessarily read the old English and stuff, but he gave it to me. And I was like, what do I do with this thing after? And he's like, oh, just pass it on, man. You keep it or give it to somebody else. And so uh, after the road trip, I went back to my room and I read it and I read the, the book of John and I was just enthralled by it and uh, read Acts next because that's, that was what came next. I didn't know any other way to read a book. And it was like, oh, this is a sequel. This is awesome. Like yeah. there's more stories, you know, it's like part two. And then I get to Romans and uh, which is not a sequel necessarily <laughs> very, and especially in the old English. And I just remember reading Romans chapter one. And I remember seeing that people exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship created things rather than the creator. And so when I read that, I just felt like that's me. And uh, I, I, my world from that moment just kind of flipped and it was like a radical transformation. I just began consuming the scriptures and going to Bible studies and sharing the gospel. I really couldn't explain what I now know would probably be like some sort of conversion story. Back then, I just thought, oh, this Jesus guy's pretty interesting, you know, and so let me, let me talk about him. So yeah, cr pretty wild transformation. And then shortly after that, I met my wife. My wife's a PK of a pastor's kid. And we just started kind of vibing and learning and growing together and visiting churches and trying to, trying to meet pastors and things like that and learn as much about Jesus as I could. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, did you ever meet the guy again? Or since his name was embroidered on the Bible, did you ever reach out to him? Or is he just gone? That's a great question. I no, I haven't. I don't know if he even knows I'm a Christian because I think he he transferred that next year, and so I don't even know if he knows I'm a Christian, let alone a pastor, and telling the story about him giving me this Bible. Uh, and I don't know where that Bible is. I gave it away to somebody. So yeah. I like you, like you said. So I after that, I became like a serial Bible giver awayer. Uh, you know, I just mm -hmm. love giving Bibles away and no matter, you know, what they look like or whatever. So I'll even give my nice Bibles away because, man, I was impacted by that. So have you ever had anyone bring a story back to you? It's like turning it into a double blessing, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, some people have, but not like because of me giving Bibles away, which is really cool because it's like, you God uses the littlest things to impact people. You know, it's, people always think it's in the grandeur or in the, in the big moments. And sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's in those small little moments that God will, will work. You know, it's, he doesn't, he could use the pastor's sermon that Sunday, but sometimes he uses the conversation uh, in the lobby uh, with a friend or yeah. a family member. And so that's, what's really cool about it is God cares about the mundane and the small, not just the large. Oh, my word for the year that God gave me is small and it's been so hard. So that's really encouraging. It's good. It's good. Good. Good word. Uh, so when you're going through all this, hey, I mean, it's so encouraging. <laughs> you could use a King James Bible, right? And uh, that's a testimony just in itself. But there's even more, which what I read, right, is that you were reading this because you were injured. Is that right? And you're kind of sidelined. Yeah. So fast forward a few years, uh, actually, I, I so I get to the point where I actually break, I tear my ACL in college, my last game. So my the story is... I'm getting ready for the NFL, you know, I'm getting, getting looks and scouts and stuff and I'm supposed to go and as a mid round draft pick. And so I just, lots of, lots of excitement. And then my last game, we were really terrible, like terrible that year, our, my worst year. And we were playing a basically meaningless game and I blew my knee out. So I had ACL surgery along with both meniscus and my right knee. 
And it was kind of in that moment where I, I, had, I was on crutches for eight weeks. I couldn't do anything. And all I could do was sit and read the Bible. And so I was stuck. And so I basically almost read the entire Bible during that entire time. Wow. Even the parts where I'm like, well, what is Leviticus about? Let me, you know, like I'm still reading it. I'm like, um, I understand this. And I didn't understand, you know, I'm just <laughs> yeah. reading through. And so it was in that eight weeks where I feel like I had gained, I got as close to God as I had ever had. Um, there were moments where like a profound, you know, realizations, like for one of those realizations was, hey, I want you to go into ministry, not knowing what ministry really was or what, what it meant for me at the moment. I just felt like I needed to go in based on that call. And so it, it, God used an injury. It was in a moment where I thought, you know, I was at my lowest, at least professionally, in my hopes of maybe not getting drafted or playing football. This entire dream I had had, I promised my mother before she passed away, all this, this great, these stories. And then God meets me in this moment of my kind of my most weak. And it was there that I actually grew in the deepest level. And to this day, those eight weeks were the most, cl the closest I'd ever felt to God and the most impacted I've ever felt by him. That'll preach to a lot of people sitting in quarantine, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's, that's the thing too, is we're stuck in quarantine here and we think we're in the lowest moments. And it's like some people are depressed and anxious and stressed out or, you know, addicted or whatever it is. And it's actually in these quiet moments where God can actually speak when that kind of cultural tide goes back and the travel and the, and the fun and the Instagram posts are all kind of gone and sidelined. It's in these moments where God is actually most magnified. Yeah. What have you seen either in your church or your personal life in this current season of quotes, 2020? What have we seen, you know, just in general, you mean like the landscape of how things have gone? Is that what you mean? Yeah, just take us through that. Have you seen God move in, in awesome ways or or in the suck and the bad stuff? Either one. Yeah, I think we're I think we're at a really interesting point in 2020. I think in 2020, we were at this kind of height of especially in San Francisco. I guess I can't speak to a lot of other areas, but a lot of kind of secular large cities, we're at this point of like total complete freedom and autonomy. We're at a point where we're making things up to be upset about because life is so comfortable. And we're at this point of like epic travel. Travel was a huge thing, busyness, overcommitment. These were all kind of the big challenges that a lot of people were facing. These are definitely first world problems. And of course there are people that, you know, suffer and die and things that can get sick. Um, but it, to a large degree, some people can get into their twenties, into their thirties, and even even into their early forties without actually experiencing any tremendous sort of uh, loss or suffering, at least in America. And, and so even talking with friends like that, it's like, you know, I've actually, I'm 38 years old. I haven't lost a single family member. I haven't, I've never been sick. I've never experienced any pain. Well, when then, and then insert kind of 2020 coronavirus and this kind of changes, it makes people feel as if they actually are morbid. They're, they, they're going to die. Their, their morbidity, their, um, their spirit, their lack of spiritual intensity or, or, or f the presence of it one way or the other. And the fact that they're now, their narrative that they had created of life is about travel, fun, friendship, that is all gone. And so the cult, like I mentioned, the cultural tide kind of went back. And what yeah. people were left with was, man, who am I? I don't even know who I am. And so they're left with discovering, do I even have a, a real purpose in this world? Or am I just somebody who's gone with the flow? And I think a lot of people are experiencing, which is why we're seeing record numbers of anxiety and depression. People are recognizing that they're, they were doers and not beers. They were mm -hmm. doing, they were performing at life and playing life's game. And now that life's game is over, or at least paused, they're stuck in with the realization of, I've got to decide actually what I worship and who I am. So that's what I'm seeing here. 
Uh, and that's yeah. what I've in the conversations that I've experienced. And then you can add a number of other things onto that with protesting yeah. and masks yeah. and all of the things that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, stayed in Portland and saw everything there. So it's, it is 2020, right? But that's, yeah. that's, it reminds me. So a lot of people listening, some people don't have any injury at all listening. Some people believe in God, some people don't, but a lot of people listening deal with that pain and they, they are the 20, 30 year old who has had horrible viruses or 20 surgeries. And let's go back to the pain that you experienced with the NFL, um, physical, but everything physical is tied to emotional as well. All those injuries. And do you feel like God taught you some of the lessons, not in an arrogant way, but kind of that people are learning now because he broke you in these ways. Is there a parallel there to how he broke you with your career and, and surrendering to him to what we're experiencing in this breaking right now? That's a really good question. You know, I think my, I got acquainted with pain early in life. My mother um, was diagnosed with cancer uh, when I was eight and she fought cancer until she was, until I was about 13 and then she passed away. Wow. And I, I got to see I had a front row seat to a human suffering for a long time and we didn't have a lot of other family. And so it was me and my younger sister watching my mother suffer in a lot of, in a lot of respects. And it was very, very difficult for me um, to go in and out of hospitals. And to this day, hospitals are very difficult places for me to be because of that. And so fast forwarding to, you know, my injuries and, you know, I had, like I mentioned, I had four surgery, major surgeries in five years the ACL being probably the least of those surgeries and getting to see that pain. You know, I, I'm reminded of the story where Jesus, you know, goes after the sheep, the parable he tells, the parable of the lost sheep, and he goes and he gets the sheep. And there's a lot of imagery in the scripture about breaking the leg of the sheep for the sake of the good of the sheep and then throwing the sheep over its head, over his head and carrying it back to the 99. In a lot of ways, I felt that, you know, I don't want to necessarily over like, you know, overinterpret or anything like that. But I get yeah. the sense that the Lord in a lot of ways, sometimes suffering in this world is actually God's provision. And it's God's provision for his for his glory and his his good and his plan. And there's a lot to teach us in the suffering. And so for me, I think over the course of I had all these big goals of playing in the NFL for 10 or 15 years, and being on different teams and having the winning Super Bowls and all these different things. But what I got instead was four surgeries and I kept getting hurt almost with no, no injury history prior. And then all of a sudden I have injury, 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 and injury. And I, I, all I could do is kind of press into the Lord. It's almost like I've had some, all of the, the things that I long for in the world kind of stripped from me. And instead I'm kind of given a bit of suffering. And it was in those rehab moments where you were the pain, you're experiencing that pain and you're trying to come back. And you, I remember sitting on the, the, the training room table one day, uh, just doing these like quad lift things for a knee injury. And it's just like, I'm this like elite athlete and here I am, I can't even flex my quad to uh, bring a five pound weight up. And I just start crying and I never experienced that. I'm, a, I, I'm so upset and I didn't grieve properly. And one of the things suffering has taught me or injuries have taught me to do is to grieve. I was always so bad at grieving. And so God's story of breaking your, our leg, breaking my leg, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, say God, that's what God's will was. I, I don't know. But what I do know is I was injured and God met me. 
and he showed me his character and showed me himself. And as a result, I'm better. And like Paul says, we're able to comfort those with the comfort we've received in Christ. And so now I can comfort other people that are suffering because of the suffering I've experienced, because we know this world isn't the final world. It's, it's this, we're you know, being exiles in this world and that one day Jesus brings a new kingdom and we get to look forward to that with hope. But suffering in this world acquaints us with grief like Jesus was and it allows us to comfort others. And so I think that's all we can do in this season is those of us that have experienced suffering, we're better equipped to handle a season like coronavirus or you know protesting and kind of a cultural, cultural chaos that's going on we're better equipped and we can help others and minister to other people out of the, out of the uh, ministering we received, right? We, our cup is filled by the Lord and our cup overfloweth. We can minister with the overflowing of that cup to others. I love what you said of, I was injured and God met me. It just reminds me of the blind man who said, you know, I don't know who he is, but I was blind and now I see. And sometimes it, it like, it's that simple. Like I, he, he met me there. Um, so when you're talking about God comforts us so we can comfort others, if there's a high school player who's talking about their career being ended or a college or a professional player, what would you say to them right now as far as what did, what did that grief that God taught you look like? Yeah, well, I think one of the things I struggled with when I got hurt was this is the end of my story. This is where my career ends. This is where you know everything I'd worked for ends. And I would say it wasn't until recently where I realized it's actually the opposite. It's actually the beginning of your story. God uses suffering and hardship in the lives of so many people in the scriptures, and he actually uses that to inform who they become. And if you're suffering and you're in high school or wherever you're at and you're, and you're injured or whatever it may be, this actually adds to the story. It compounds the story, and it makes it a greater story for the future. So don't look at this like the end, always saying, what could have been, who could I have been, and then stop growing. In, in the Lord and stop growing as an individual, but instead allow this to be the catalyst for the future you. And your story begins with, you know what? Yeah, I got injured in high school. Yeah, I broke my leg. Yeah, I, you know, I had a concussion or whatever, but this is what I learned out of it in the Lord. And this is where I, who I've become as a result and use that story as a weapon against insufficiencies and suffering and brokenness in other people. Yeah, oh my gosh, so good, amen. I am jumping all over the place, but there's so many parts that I want to ask you about. When you talked about your mom, because I didn't know that, I want to dig into that a little bit just because we've interviewed uh, parents who have lost their children, parents who have had children with horrible illnesses, and then people who have them. But what does that look like from a child's perspective and a young child at that to lose, I mean, one of the closest people to you? Well, you just take us through that and like how you've processed that later, anything you want to share on that, that could help people from a child's perspective in watching that pain. Yeah. I, I've still, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you, I'm still processing this. Um, it's been 20 years and I still struggle. And that's kind of the, that's the reality of the world we live in today is that suffering is kind of an echo of a fallen world and you experience these things and that's what kind of strengthens the faith of a believer, knowing that one day that that suffering will end. But going back to the mother, you know, my mom was our only family for a lot to a large degree. And my younger sister bouncing around different homes in the Bay Area and to lose someone, we felt like orphans. Uh, my dad wasn't in the picture. And so we felt like no one wanted us. And the people that did take us, we felt like, you know what, we're never going to mean as much to this person as we mean to our mother. 
And that reality was kind of always in the background of our lives. And so experiencing that and feeling that and knowing that was true, was it, it was profound loss and suffering for us. And it, it was very troubling. When we moved with my aunt, like my aunt took us in, she's our great aunt, and she took us in a different part of the Bay Area. It, we loved being with her. She took great care of us and she loved us. But we always knew that like, you know, we're not her kids. And whether or not she loved us like that, it, it almost doesn't, didn't matter to us. It, it, it was the fact that we just knew that this isn't our mom and it never will be our mom. And so experiencing that suffering was really, really difficult. And now that I have kids, you know, I, it brings all of those memories back up. You know, it reminds me mm-hmm. of the loss that I had and what it would mean to my kids if I was to die or my, or my wife was to die, what would that mean for them? And so, I mean, that's another reason for Ex Nihilo is trying to be around and having longevity as long as we can, because, you know, tr- yeah. quite honestly, you know, being around and seeing my mother die, it, 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 it's a it's a sad reality. It reminds you of the just the harsh, br- brutal world that we live in, and it acquaints you with that grief. Mm-hmm. And and almost into a point where if you if you're not allowed that suffering at an early age or even into your twenties and thirties, you're almost living a fantasy land. Like you don't really quite understand what's coming. That death actually does exist. I hate to get dark, but you ask me the truth. No, it's real. Um, it, I, yeah. Keep going. Yeah, the it, it, you are you know, Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, I keep saying that. And so when I met Jesus, I saw someone who suffered like I had suffered. And that was for the first time I could, because I used to be a very, I, got, I became a really uh, bitter young man, even though I was, I was bitter and arrogant, I worked hard as a mask for the pain I experienced. And I just said, no one can tell me anything. No one could, no one could have as much pain as I've had. I've had more pain than anybody. And then I meet this guy, Christ, and I go, man, this man suffered. And he understands me, and he was there with me. And so maybe that's all a bunch of gibberish, but what it does do is it, it strengthens my faith in God, knowing that he suffered and that he, was, that he was broken and that he's a healer and that he's a restorer and that one day he is working to reconcile, renew, and restore the world. And the pain I experience will eventually be gone, and I get to kind of serve others with that, especially when people are sick and I do hospital visits and things like that. Okay. Talk to me about that for a second. You're what kind of pastor are you? I mean, I'm the lead pastor of our church. So, you know, I kind of, in a church plant, you're basically a generalist. So you do a bit of everything, but I've been, I've been, I've served other roles at other churches. I've been young adults pastor. I've been a teaching pastor. So all, all over the, all over the place. Yeah. What does that look like going from everything with your mom to then doing hospital visits? Yeah. I mean, is that difficult every time is, yeah, I don't, that seems crazy. It is. And I, the smarter people than me in ministry have been in ministry for years have always said that ministry, your ministry experience will be far less about what you do for God and more about what God does in you. And I think that in a lot of ways, God brings me to those places or ha- leads me to conversations with people. And he's, he's building me up as well. He's ministering maybe through me, hopefully, Lord willing, but he's also teaching me uh, a lesson, uh, usually about himself. And so I, what I learned is that, man, God, God ministered to us. I get to minister to people in our time of need. Jesus ministered for us in our time of need. Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And he gets, we get to be instruments in the tool, in, in the hands of a good redeemer and go minister to the sick. And so I think in, 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 some, in some ways, doing hospital visits, whether that's, you know, spiritual, psychological, 
or physical, we are actively participating in this sort of spiritual renewal and then one day the physical renewal that God is one day bringing. And so we just, I, it acquaints me with being, with understanding him and being more in the image and likeness of God. I get to see the character of God every time I do it. Yeah, you just put to words what I have felt for a long time, even about mission trips where, so I lived for a year in South America and I totally believe that was obedience. God did what he wanted to do. But afterwards I was like, this is, yeah, we help people. That was great. Like, as long as we're not hurting people, <laughs> good. But it was so much more about what God did in me. But I was like, you know, most people fundraising for mission trips, you can't just be like, hey, can you give me money so I can go on this personal spiritual journey? Um, but I feel like it's like that, not even in missions, just in everything. It's not, what did you say? It's not what God does through you, but in you? Yeah, God is God is actively working in us and building us up as much as he's building anyone else up through us. And that's the revelation I think in ministry is that you get back and you think, oh, what are the metrics? You know, how big can I grow a church? How many people can come to meet Jesus? You know, how, what, what sort of worship can I sing? Can I be the best worshiper or whatever it is? Or how many people are in our kids ministry? Or how big's our youth group? And you start thinking about these really odd metrics that Jesus never really necessarily talked about or meant. And we come to the place where God's like, actually, I'm doing this in large part to grow you. I mean, think about mm -hmm. what God does with Jonah. I mean, clearly God wants Nineveh to, to know something. What he's clearly and obviously doing is trying to form mm -hmm. Jonah himself. And that's, yeah. the, that's the moral, that's a big part of the story is that God's actually working through the messenger as much as he's working through the message for the people. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking, man, look at this guy just scripture preaching all and came from, a guy who gave him a King James Bible. I'm just still <laughs> laughing. Um, oh, so right. <laughs> take us on that journey of how did you go from NFL to planting a church? Because even just that headline is, as a title of your story, is really cool. Well, the the weird, bizarre story of all this is that six or nine months, something like that, after I got that Bible, I wanted to plant a church. So I was 18, 19 years old. And I'm sitting in a church and I just felt like the Lord spoke to me, whatever I, I did at the moment. I didn't know really know. I just felt like, I think I need to be in ministry. And by the way, I had no idea what that meant. I, I didn't know what that word even meant at the time. Yeah. Um, I remember being in Bible study once and I'm sitting there and I just say something I don't even remember. And then the, the, the guy, the pastor who was leading the Bible study just said, Hey, have you ever thought about being in ministry? And I said, what's that? And I thought what I thought ministry was, was, uh, people that carry caskets in funerals, like pallbearers. I, my only wow. image I had was like, you want me to carry caskets for people? Like, because <laughs> well, I'm a big guy? Yeah, I don't understand what, and he's like, no, no, ministry is like um, serving people in the church, like being a pastor or, you know, something like that. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm never going to do that. That's, that's crazy. I'm going, you know, I'm going to play in the NFL. And, you know, as a 19 year old person, you don't have the ability. And so getting called into ministry, I was like, I think I need to do this. And so I just, you know, the only thing I could hear was, you know, at the time understand was you need to learn. And so I started reading and studying and visiting Bible studies and trying to get mentorship and things like that. And um, I knew I wasn't ready. And you'd be crazy to go to a 19 year old person's church. If he's running the church, you'd be, you'd literally, I mean, God can work, speak through a donkey, but the next yeah. closest thing would be a 19 year old kid in college, right? <laughs> 
yeah. And then, so I went through the NFL and I, I'd be lying too if I told you I was I didn't struggle there. Like I, I, I was conflicted. I'd spent my entire life trying to work to be in the NFL. I got drafted by Washington and I go and all of a sudden I'm having an existential crisis of like, I need to go into ministry. Hmm. And I prayed through this and I'm thinking through this. I'm clearly overthinking it. And I feel like one day God just kind of says to me, or, you know, how, as, how, as I understand it, it's like, be where you are. You know, there's people here. I've placed you here for a reason and you need to be present. And I wasn't present. And so I decided from then on, I was able to enjoy my NFL career for the next four years and just be where I was and enjoy it. And so I knew that the time would come. Wise counsel told me, hey, you can always go into ministry, but you're only going to be able to play football now. And so I guess the advice for certain people is if you're in school, ministry is always going to be there. You know, you can do ministry during it and ministry will always be available after. And so once I was done, I just started looking for opportunities and God opened the door to, to serve some college kids. And I started doing that. And from then on, it was just like, hey, find ministry where you are. A soul in San Francisco counts the same as a soul in Moscow, Idaho, where I went to college. It, it doesn't matter. You, you can serve people wherever you're at. And so that's all I started doing. And then opportunities started opening the doors. And then San Francisco came along uh, with just a five or six concurrent open doors to go. You may know San Francisco is an incredibly expensive place to live. Mm -hmm. And so the fear is, how do I raise money to start yeah. a church there? I mean, that's insane. And so with God opening doors, I knew, hey, I'd be telling God no if I don't go. And so church planning is just about being obedient to your calling and going where God tells you to go instead of like looking for the comforts of life, understanding that, hey, God may call you into the unknown and that's okay. And that's kind of the story of the Bible. I could talk on that forever. So I'm going to pause and just <laughs> let, you, let you jump. Yeah. And so then, you know, basically you played at a church and it was a piece of cake, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just millions of people showed, you know, baptism. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you're right. It, so the story arc of the scripture is that God says the word go to a bunch of people and he never tells them the outcome. So he says, Abraham, go into the land I've sent you. And he's like, okay, well, where is that? He just go, go, yeah. you know, Noah, build a boat. Like why? Cause I'm going to flood the earth. What? Like what's going to happen after? doesn't matter. Go. And that's the story of Israel going into the desert. It's just go, go, go. So God often always asks us to, to jump before he gives us the parachute. And church planning is like that. It's like, hey, go into the land I've sent you. This is what you need to do. And I'm not going to tell you the outcome. And it doesn't matter. But what you have to do is trust that the Lord is good in what he's calling you to. And trust him in the tension of not knowing the full weight of what's going to happen. And what I learned is clarity is a reward, not the prerequisite for following mm -hmm. God. Clarity is something you receive at the end of obedience and not the prerequisite. And so many of us, especially when I was young, I would do this. We, we want clarity, but you don't get clarity. Clarity yeah. comes after the work. I'm sitting here already thinking about when I'm going to edit this episode and I'm going to have a journal with me and just take notes of the little one-liners that you're spitting out here. What is, like, how would you say when you face pain as a pastor, because you have to, and, and this, yeah, we talk about physical pain, but it's, it's all related. What, what do you do in that situation when someone you've been pouring into for a few years betrays you? I don't know if you've had that happen or you feel betrayed by God even, or what does that look like? Yeah, that, that is part of being a pastor is experiencing lots of hard relational trauma, especially in a church plant. Church plants attract two types of people. They attract really, really awesome God honoring people that are just called by the Lord to be there, or they attract 
people that are really needy, crazy people. And so we have this combination of these two people. And I've been both of those people in multiple church plants. So like I, I've been on either side of that. And so part of that comes relational trauma and betrayal and hardship. And so I, I can't write the book on this just yet. Like I'm still in the midst of all of this dealing with it. But what I do know is that, like I said, the Lord is doing, is ministering to me in those moments as much as I think I'm ministering to anybody else. And what I need to do is keep my ear out for him and try to listen and hear what he's trying to tell me and rest in the tension. You know, like I I forget who says it, but there's problems to solve and there's tensions to manage, right? And, Mm -hmm. And so you can't treat ministry or people like problems to solve. They're often tensions to manage. And so how do I help people manage their tensions and how do I manage mine? in the midst of understanding that this world is a tension that there's, you can't, we can't solve it. And so that's basically what I'm trying to do with people. And then I've got to just lay it at the Lord's feet. Like, I think it's, it's helpful to lament and read the Psalms of lament, like Psalm 137, and just cry out to God with your angers and your frustrations and your upsetness and tell him how angry you are. And then ask him to, to form you and to remind you of, that Jesus is always the answer, that his suffering was always the answer for our suffering and that you want blood for the pain you experience. Well, you've got your blood and the blood is Mm -hmm. Jesus. And to remember that continually and then understand it's not a problem to solve that we're in. It's a tension that we experience this and that it's going to be like this for a while. And then what we can do is ask God to take the pain away, continually ask him. And even if he doesn't trust that he has a good reason for why he hasn't and that he's doing more work in you. So it's not a formulaic. I guess I wish Tara, I could tell you there was a formula A, B yeah, plus yeah. C. It's not, it's a tension to manage. Yeah. Well, we talk about tensions a lot in my house with my husband. And the, another quote that I love is people don't need to be fixed. They need to be healed. And it is, but it's, it's so hard to walk out when you talk about, I can see someone listening right now, like you're a pastor and you're all spiritual and stuff. When you say you hear God or keep your ear out for God, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Do you have spiritual disciplines you like to do? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I'm a fan of being very practical. So I guess I, you're right. I am spiritual because I am a pastor and I do, you know, but I, but I also think that sometimes God works in the very practical. And so if someone's listening, it's like, I don't really know about that. Like, that seems crazy. I think there's a few practical things you can, you can think about, you know, you could. So for me, my spiritual discipline, so to speak, discipline, what's cool about the word discipline is that the root word for in the Greek is gymnasio, which means gym. So like, if you think about the gym, like what do you do at the gym? Okay, well, I know that repetition matters, right? Because if I wanna get stronger or leaner or faster, repetition matters. And so opening up the Bible every morning and studying is a very good thing. We know that consistency matters. And so being consistent on a daily basis with either scripture reading, with prayer, with meditation, that matters a lot as well. And then we also know that there are going to be times where you don't feel like doing it, right? When you go to the gym, you're like, I just don't feel like being here at all. But there's always those times where even though you go, you don't like it, you come out of it, you go, you know what? I'm glad I went and I'm glad I did it. And there's times when you leave and you say, I'm glad, I I wish I never came. And it's still the compounding effect for your growth is still mattered in in the physical. And so if you can think about it in that way, that helps me understand it. Okay, what I need to do is I want to set a routine and a rhythm for the way I do, where I study and the way I try to hear from God. And sometimes God speaks and I feel like I think he's telling me something. And sometimes I, he doesn't. And God doesn't always speak. In the scriptures, sometimes he's silent. He was silent for 400 years. Yeah. And, but, that, but what we do is we trust that God has got a greater plan than just snapping his fingers and answering 
our questions. Sometimes his plan is bigger than our needs. And so what it is, is about, it's about leaning into the daily routine, this trust and trusting God in that. You know, Zig, I think it was Zig Ziglar, the middle motivational speaker guy. Mm-hmm. He yeah. says that I, I read the newspaper and read the Bible every day. So I know what both sides are doing. And so for us, instead of the newspaper, it's like Twitter, right? Yeah. So I'm going to read Twitter and then I need to read the scripture. If you're only getting information from one side, you're going to be really confused. So I think opening the Bible every day is, is totally crucial to my formation. And I think it's crucial for everyone, even if you don't want to do it. Okay, I have to go here because it's the second time it was brought up. And I think there's building muscles like in the gym, building the muscle of having uh, hard conversations. And so even when you said that God was silent for 400 years, okay, let's talk about the racial tensions in this country for a little bit of this has been going on for four or 500 years longer, even I mean, honestly, it's not a new concept, even in the Bible, right? And so I have no idea what your opinions are on this. But how have you as a as a pastor, um, as a black man been as a Christian, been facing everything that's going on with the racial tensions right now? Yeah, um, it's been tough, I think. Again, I think this is another tension that I think there's a problem that can be solved. I, I, I do wonder if racism can be solved. I know that mm-hmm. like in our government, in our process, we like to think it can be because we trust government and we trust systems and education. But what I know from the Bible is that human beings are, are sinners by nature um, and that are fallen, like the, the Psalm, I forget, Psalm 51 or 55, it says, you know, I was estranged from the womb and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. That's David talking. And so I I wonder if people who aren't Christians can solve that problem. Hmm. I know that as a Christian, I I know that the kingdom of God says that God is bringing something forward, that he's bringing a renewed, reconciled and restored world forward. And I believe that racial reconciliation is part of that kingdom of God, that it's inching forward slowly. And I believe that we have a responsibility as believers to help bring the kingdom of God forward on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that many of us have got caught up so much in our privatized Christian faiths of American, like that's an American idea fundamentally. It's Mm -hmm. not a Christian idea. Privatized faith is an American idea, not a a biblical one. Uh, Although we do of course have private faith, I think that we also, have a communal faith and God addresses us as a community, a body of believers. I'll be your God and you will be my people. Mm -hmm. That's how he says it. And so we need to fundamentally begin to say, how do we work to become God's people together and not separately, not separate, but equal, but integrated. And I think this is part of us understanding and learning and and going and pushing the tide back of understanding, Hey, I don't have all the answers because I'm American and I'm first world. I may be wrong on some things. And so, so for me, one of the ways I've tried to do this was I wanted to say, how do I go into every problem? One, not practicing the art of not having the last word. And two, giving everyone uh, the seat of expert for a moment and me the seat of learner. And how can I be a learner in a scenario? And so I just want to learn. Like I want to learn. I, I, I don't want to be the expert in this scenario. I don't want to tell you how to fix this or fix that. And I think if we all did that, we'd all realize we're, a lo- we're wrong a lot. We're yeah. constantly wrong. And in my, this is an area where there are many, there are a lot of wrong people. We're actually more like Adam than we are like Christ. 
and we are more about separate being separate and unless like God's vision for all things and all people and all tribes, tongues and nations. And so maybe that's a little spiritual. Practically, what does this mean? I think it means that we need to work to understand each other better. We need to practice the art of being the minority in the room, especially if we're a part of a, uh, a predominant race. So like if you're white, my, my wife is, is Caucasian. So how do I become the minority in the room and be, be with black people in black spaces and Latino people in Latino spaces and just learn and understand mm -hmm. and understand that I have a, that we have cult, we all have individual cultures and that we, we don't want to be like the tower of Babel where we were scattered about if we came together, we would destroy the world. But instead, how do we work together in the kingdom of God that Jesus is eventually going to bring? And so that's, I can go into any aspect of that. So I'm just going to kind of pause and let, and let you respond. Cause I can, like I said, I don't want to talk for 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I think the crazy thing about this is it feels like somewhat of a scattered conversation, but honestly, what I see as the thread throughout all this is God, your kingdom come, your will be done because I, everything that you're saying, and I'm, I'm not by any means downplaying the racial tensions, but saying pain is pain. And there's a lot of pain in the world right now in a lot of different areas. And so we talk a lot about physical pain and I, I see the same concept, right? Of like, yeah, I don't know if racism can be solved on this side of eternity. Yeah. I, mm, there are miracles, but everyone who is healed in the Bible still died, right? Like can pain be solved on like physical, our bodies decaying, right? Can that be solved? And your business, we'll go here, is about living our best life. But where is that tension, right? Of be the healthiest you can be. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're still going to die one day. One of one dies. Yeah. No, that's, that's the glad with sadness of the Christian life. It's that we work and we see the, the nuances and the sparks of joy, a real like unfiltered joy that you experience when you see like the look on a child's face or you experience healing or you experience uh, rejuvenation in a job or workplace or whatever. But you understand that sadness comes from it's like, well, every, all this will eventually end. And you, you, you feel the weight of that, even if you try not to. And that's in some ways what coronavirus has done is it's made people force them to feel the weight. And so I guess ex nihilo is about trying to, we're, we have a responsibility, like I mentioned, to bring the kingdom of God forward continually. That's part of our call. That's God's great commission, right? Making disciples is part of that. It's um, working towards renewal in our communities. Like we, we hear about in Jeremiah where Israel has to work and bring renewal in Babylon. That's our job here. And so we're working on racial fronts, on sickness fronts, on uh, rehabilitation fronts. But we understand that the true ultimate healing agent doesn't come, hasn't come yet. And so it's this already we work, but not yet the goodness comes. And so when you talk about the physical body with ex nihilo, ex nihilo is a very valuable, it can be valuable on its own in the sense of, yeah, you want to be healthy, you want to live a long time. Great. But it has to be seen, in my opinion, in the light of what Jesus is bringing in the kingdom that, yes, you can work now, but this is all for, for now. It's okay. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's great to live, but to die means that we will eventually be with Christ. And so Christ is bringing this ultimate healing agent in the kingdom of God. And so we're trying to be healthy, to stay around as long as we can, to share the gospel, to build community, to bring renewal. But one day Christ comes and redeems, renews, and restores the world forever. So it has to be seen in that light or else it, it kind of is just a uh, it can be seen more as like a secular idea. Yeah. So how is Ex Nihilo different than just your average Joe Smo, Schmo, uh, 
person doing a fitness blog or a nutrition blog, what's the difference? Well, in, in my mind, there's a lot more, uh, the Bible says a lot more about health than we think. And that's where, where I come from. And so I'm looking at the Bible from a biblical fitness and wellness perspective. And you're seeing that in the garden, in Genesis chapters one and two, there's a sense where Adam and Eve are perfect uh, in right standing with God communally. And what happens in Genesis chapter three is sin enters the world and fundamentally corrupts. Like you mentioned, the groaning and the decay of the world. And that's where that enters in the world. And so all of a sudden, human body starts to decay. That's when injuries and suffering and pain come in human body decays and creation decays. And so we're losing this and humanity's mind is decaying and it's corrupt. And so what Ex Nihilo is about is about trying to recover what God had originally intended for humanity in the garden, knowing that it doesn't won't fully come yet, but we can work this part of the kingdom of God forward. And the way we do that is by recovering what God wanted us to originally do with our bodies in the first place. And so that means we're eating food as close to the way God made it as possible. That means we want to remove the foods that we've really tainted with our own human ideologies for profit and for, you know, aesthetic. And we're going back into a way God actually originally created us to, to eat. And if we do that, we'll actually function as good as we possibly can on this world before glory. And so that means things like brain fog and stomach aches and all these things that we just seem as normal are actually results of us being disobedient as people that never are thinking about the way God has created things to do, eat and to do. And so what we need to do is we need to recover that. Like, what does God want us to eat? How does he, how does he view the human body? And should we should view it the same way? He wants us to steward our bodies well, because God cares about everything. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And we want to steward our bodies because he is made, we're made in his image. And then we want to be around as long as we can. God gives us the great commission to go forth and make disciples. Well, I want to be around. So I want to be able to do that as long as I can. And how do I do that, right? If we want to renew our cities, renew our kingdoms, or renew, sorry, not our kingdoms, but our cities, how do we do that? Well, I want to be around for that. And I'm going to need energy for that. And so that's, it's all about this concept of biblical stewardship of the body and understanding that if we follow what God has asked us to do with our food and he's left clues, then we can do God's mission as best we can. So it's not a primary issue. The primary issue is Jesus, but it's a secondary issue in the same way caring for your kids is a secondary issue, right? Yeah. So uh, you talking about this, I have some questions on specifics, but I don't want to go too down, too far down that rabbit hole because I know you have a blog and we can send people to the <laughs> blog. But just a, one general concept that I would love to talk to you about is I am on this journey. So I swam all the way through grad school and had crazy injuries, right? And I have nerve damage from that. And a lot of it is affected by what I eat. But I've just been even on this path. I just read Ryan Hall's book, who is the fastest half marathoner in the US. And he actually let God be his coach for a year, which or maybe longer, which is crazy. Awesome book. Uh, Run the mile you're in. But he talks about partnering with your body. And this is something I will say I was never good at until the end of my career of we as athletes are committed to going against our body, right? You have to overcome pain. You have to no pain, no gain, all these things. And that's, you know, I pushed through a rotting bicep, right? Like, and it was so against what my body was telling me, right? But now I'm at this place where I'm like, you know what? I want to just do what feels good, but then I'm so scared that I'm like, oh, well, if I do that, I'll lose the ability to challenge myself. And so how, how do we partner with our body 
but still maintain that drive and discipline and going to the gym and taking care of our body. Yeah. Well, I think it's for one, it's a heck of a lot more fun to partner with your body than it is to be your body's enemy. You know, it's like, we can start there. Um, one of my, my ACL injury actually happened on a play where I went back in the game when my body was telling me not to. Um, I, I felt fine. The trainers trained me, you know, they, they said, you're, you're fine, but I knew something was off and my competitive spirit told me to go back out there. And, you know, I, I made the injury significantly worse and experienced a lot more pain. So I think partnering with your body should be the name of the game. If you're talking about longevity and you're talking about performance and being around for the long haul, like we, like I talk about it with ex nihilo, I think that's, that's the ultimate end game. And so partnering with your body has to be number one. And so that means you listen to your body when it tells you eating something isn't good for it or it doesn't react well. Uh, I think that we often, instead of listening to our bodies, we just listen to the government. We listen to the food pyramid. We listen to the latest blog. And what we should actually do is go, what's good for me? There's a principle called, uh, like in biohacker community called N equals one principle. And essentially means that you're an individual and that you've got to figure out what's best for you. And so I, I totally abide by the N equals one principle. And so when I give people diet and health and wellness principles and advice, I say, hey, like, listen, this is good for a lot of people, but it might not be great for you. One of the practical ways you can partner with your body is to get like food sensitivity and intolerance tests done. It's really simple and easy and it's not too expensive. And sometimes insurance covers it. And you can just learn what actually your body needs and what it doesn't. And uh, your body may, t it may send you a signal in the form of a canker sore. It may send you a signal in the form of a stomach ache. Yeah. And obviously it sends you a signal in the form of like anaphylactic shock if you're allergic yeah. to fish or something. So your body's always sending signals. The question is, are we listening to those signals? And so ex nihilo is about listening to your body. It's a program for your survival. And instead of listening to marketing or to the government, we should probably listen to it instead. Yeah. So one of the blogs I read that I loved, uh, that you wrote were the five reasons Christians should care more about their body. I don't know if you can list those five reasons off the top of your head, but give us just a couple reasons as a Christian, why should you care about your body? Yeah. Well, as a Christian, I think, well, I think the one, the number one thing I put in that part of, in that blog was believers are supposed to be set apart, right? They're supposed to be distinct from the people around them. Like the, the Bible talks about how believers have a different aroma. And if you remember the original dietary laws, like I get questions on the dietary laws in the old Testament, people sometimes get lost in the weeds with this stuff. But if you think about why those were there, God gave those there for two reasons. One was for hygiene to protect Israel. But the second reason, and perhaps the one that's talked about most, is actually to set Israel apart from the surrounding nations. God wanted Israel to be distinct from the, the pagan nations around it. So these are God's people. And what we know about our eating today in America is it actually doesn't, as Christians, it doesn't look any different from the eating of anybody else. Yeah. And so actually a Muslim person once, we're having a conversation, and he said, I don't respect uh, Christians, because Christians don't respect their bodies. They just put whatever they want in their bodies and their God said they made their bodies. So why, why do they disrespect it? And you know what? Mm -hmm. That's a heck of a question that someone should ask, someone should ask yeah. because God does make our bodies to be distinct and he gives us our bodies as vessels for his mission. And so we're supposed to be distinct. So the other thing is Christians should care because one of the biggest things I get to you know, on like YouTube comments or friends or whatever is that, hey, you should tell me to eat bread because Jesus ate bread, so I'm going to eat bread. And you yeah, have to understand. I hear that too. Yeah. Well, and he did eat bread. But here's the thing. The bread that Jesus ate is not the bread we eat. So like yeah. Iron Kid's bread and Wonder Bread and the bread we eat is very different. And so you have to understand that marketing, GMOs, these big, big agriculture, these companies. Oh my companies gosh. I had never heard God move over before for GMO. 
<laughs> that is yeah. amazing. I mean, so sorry, they're not good for you. I just had never <laughs> heard that uh, acronym. God move over for a GMO. Carry on. No, well, that, that, so think about it. Think, so think about that for a second. God move over. So what does that mean? It means that human beings have tried to overcome the curse in Genesis chapter three with thorns and thistles. And we're trying to overcome it. How do we overcome it? Well, we're going to change our food so that way bugs and thorns and weeds don't get into the food. So we're, we're trying to like game the system to get out of the curse. And so we create all these different things. But what we don't realize is that these things are actually harming us in the long haul. Think about it. If a food is engineered for a bug, if it were to eat it to explode, which is what some of the GMO corn does, what do you think is going to happen to your stomach bacteria when you put that corn in your body? It's going to blitz your stomach bacteria because your gut bacteria is just bugs. It's just, it's microorganisms. So they're going to get destroyed. And so that's what's actually happening to us. Human beings try to, try to game the system for our, our sin, and then we accidentally hurt ourselves, right? So that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And as a result, physical, mental performance are wrecked. And that's, what yeah. I think, one of the other points is that we have brain fog. We have these 2.30 feelings where we think we need more caffeine. Mm -hmm. And we go, we think, oh, man, like, I'm just tired. I just need another snack. Do you know that people didn't eat six or seven snacky meals a day in Jesus' day? They didn't do that. They fasted for parts of the day. They ate large meals in the evenings. They did things like that because that was the regular human rhythm. And our human rhythm is one of abundance today in America where we eat processed foods that are bad for us all day. And then now we're, as a result, we're riddled with chronic disease like celiac disease. We have uh, things like Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, heart attack, hypertension, all of these different things. And then another reason we should care about our bodies is just because God cares about our body. Yeah. So if people say like, I don't really care what I eat. I just care about Jesus. I would say, well, Jesus cares about what you eat. You know, God cares about what you eat because he cares about everything. Like I have a very hard time saying God doesn't care about something. I feel like God cares about his mm -hmm. creation. And if he made us and he took the time to make us in the image and likeness of God, then he definitely cares about what we eat. And so not only is eating well about longevity and about stewardship, it's actually about worship. We can worship God with the way we treat our bodies and we're thanking him. So instead of worshiping our bodies, like some do in the vanity, we can worship God with our bodies. So that's, I think that's a good recap of the blog, but you know, if I miss something, that's great. Know. No, here's my hardball question for you. How does someone who lives in chronic pain or chronic illness disease honor God with their body? That's good. Um, I think one of, that's a great question off the cuff. I would need to know the scenario because I'd hate to offend anyone if they're listening. You're like, I can't do that. Yeah, I would say yeah. one, I, under, I understand your pain. I understand your suffering. It's very difficult to be in that scenario. But Paul talks about having a thorn in his flesh and that Paul had this thorn in his flesh so he wouldn't become conceited in his thinking. And it was hard for Paul to deal with a thorn in his flesh. And it was difficult to deal with this thorn in the flesh. But sometimes God places these things in our lives to reform us, to grow us, to shape us, and, and to comfort those with the comfort we've received. And that even though you're suffering and you're experiencing this pain, that God's plan for your ultimate plan for your pain is something way greater and way and way bigger and more grandeur. And it's not easy to hear it in that moment. And it doesn't make it, and that might taste like vinegar in the mouth, in your mouth. If you hear that, you may go, are you kidding me? But what I do know is that one of the hard things for any of us to do, regardless of our suffering, is to trust God in half answers and to say, God, I only have part of this answer but I know you're good enough that I can trust you in not knowing the rest. That's something that someone who's acquainted with suffering has a leg up on because they get to experience suffering at a harder age and go, you know what? 
I'm learning something about God and I'm able to rest in attention that I don't understand and I'm able to help other people. So not easy to hear. If we think God only has things that are, says things that are easy to hear, we'll miss out on a lot of what God has to say. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, like I said, I'll be taking notes. Also, are you streaming live from your church or is that something that you'll do? Because I'm like, man, I just want to hear you preach now. Are there, is there somewhere people can find you and watch? Yeah, so our church is Bay City Church in San Francisco. We, uh, we our sermons go live at, our services go live at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube on our YouTube page and our Facebook page. So you can watch there. You can just also type us into YouTube and you'll find Bay City Church, San Francisco. There's, there's plenty of content from the last few years. So yeah, if someone's interested, yeah, there's plenty there. Cool. And then how do they get involved with your blog or everything with X Nihilo? So our, my website is xnihilohealth.com or you can go to uh, my YouTube channel, X Nihilo Health. It's relatively new YouTube channel getting it started. And then if you want to just, I post some stuff on Instagram at Real E Williams or Twitter at Real E Williams. So you're able to go there as well and pick up anything you need. Awesome. And I'm, I'm always open to questions. So if you ask a question on a YouTube channel or message me, I usually can help. I usually answer. So if you, if you want to ask a question, I'm there. Perfect. So Eddie, is there anything we haven't talked about, haven't covered that's just burning you feel like you should say or, or want to say before we wrap up? We could talk forever. I, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like no, but I mean, I don't want to answer that. Yes, because there's a million things we could say. So if you want to call it there, I'm fine with it, but I'm happy to talk as, as well for another hour if you need. No, I think that was great. Thank you so much, Eddie. I can't wait for people to just be blessed by, by your wisdom. Thanks, Tara. I, again, I appreciate you having me on. This is really fun. Thank you so much to Eddie for being on the show. If you do have a question about anything he said, take him up on it. Go to his Twitter, Instagram, message him, and just see if he has more truth bombs to share with you. Everything that he talked about, his links, I'm going to put that all in the show notes so you can get to his resources and connect with him. And hey, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would so appreciate it if you went to iTunes, left us a good review and the star review and helped other people find us. We really are grateful for that. And we will see you here again next week. We're going to have Bryn on the show talking about playing volleyball at a deaf university.